Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Kahn with your news. The University of Maine has published the results of a groundbreaking study linking bra color to memory. According to this study, participants were shown 100 items by a woman with her bra strap showing. Upon review, the highest percentage of recalled items corresponded to the proctor's bra strap color. Turns out, the best thing for memories are memories. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hello there, constant readers. And today we are covering part two of The Outsider through the chapter visits, if you're reading along, and if not, major spoilers ahead. And today we have Josh leading the discussion. Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. There's so much to talk about in the second part, so let's not waste any time because I have so many things to say. So we're jumping right into it. So we pick up after the assassination of Terry Maitland and the murder of uh, of poor Ollie. Boy, Ollie I, I hope you listened to the first episode, <laughs> readers. We said spoilers ahead. <laughs> so we pick up with uh, Ralph is at home because he has been put on suspension because of the incident when uh, Bill Samuels drops by. They're, one of the very first things that Ralph says is that he feels like Samuels got what he wanted out of that riot. What did you guys think about that? I agree. I think that his opinion of Samuels has decreased pretty dramatically. I feel like he's kind of seeing him for what he is. Not that he was ever really had any illusions about that, but I think he lost a lot of respect for him and Definitely. himself, too. I, this might be uh, divisive. I don't think Bill Samuels is a bad person. Me either. I think he's an asshole. Yes. I think he (laughs) really fucked up. And I do think Ralph is kind of right. Because I do believe that uh, Samuels wanted a big, he wanted a circus. Yep. I don't believe he wanted Terry dead. But... Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's necessarily, I, I don't think any of the characters in this book, oh, well, um, save, <laughs> save one who we will meet in a little bit are bad. They're just mm-hmm. people trying to fucking make it through and making a long series of unfortunate, uh, choices. Yeah. And when they comment about how, I don't remember if they say how young, Samuels is, but there's a lot of discussion. Like, there's all these comments about how he looks like Alfalfa and that he, you know, when he talks really casually, he seems even younger than he is. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I feel like maybe they are a little harsher on him than he should, than they should be. Cause like Jeannie, uh, she answers the door and she's obviously pissed at him too. Mm-hmm. And he says that he's, um, he tells her and Ralph he's not running for re-election anymore. He's dropping it. And she replies, so you're quitting before you get fired? And he's like, uh, 
Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Pretty much. But like that uh, to me the like I get that her husband is very deeply affected by this and she should feel defensive. But I I don't know. I feel like they came at him real hard. I disagree. I, he's so selfish that I just don't have time for him. And I think that her response to him was completely justified. Agree. And I I'm not saying he's like an evil person or mm-hmm. anything. I agree with you guys on that. But he's just a little like slimy and despicable. Yeah. And hopefully and... that changes. Hopefully he learns something and he grows. Yeah. Here's hoping. But he has a piece of information to give Ralph. And that's that they know where the van. They know who stole the van. We we met Merle Cassidy in the last episode. They found out that he is the kid who stole the van initially. Did we mention that his full name is Merlin? Because I fucking no. love that. That is great. But it is funny that when we were like, we'll probably see him later, and we don't. Nope. We just, we just hear about him. Merle stole the, the van in New York, and he left it in Ohio. And there's something about that it was dropped off in Ohio that really rings a bell. Did, did you guys pick up on it immediately? Immediately. Because I really like that, how they handle this in the book. There are, it, it's a mystery book. So I, I love how King is like, he gives you the clues and gives you a few pages yeah. of where Ralph is like, that's important somehow. I don't know. I enjoyed it because it made me feel smart. Where <laughs> yes, There were same. several incidents like this where he's like, Oh, it was left in Ohio. I wonder what that could mean. And immediately I was like, Terry was in Ohio. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it was really, really great. Ralph then shares a story about a cantaloupe full of maggots. Does it make sense? Like, yeah. Talk about the the cantaloupe full of maggots. It's a metaphor for the current situation they're in because on the outside, everything looks fine. You know exactly what to expect and everything is going to go according to plan. You're going to cut open that cantaloupe. You're going to chop it up. You're going to enjoy it maybe with some yogurt. I don't know. Whatever (laughs) your deal is. And I mean, it's what you come to expect. You've done this before. Now, what's happening or what happened with Terry Everything looked good on paper, but Mm -hmm. just like when Ralph opened that cantaloupe and it was full of maggots, the reality is that this situation is full of maggots. It's not the only story that we hear. Samuels tells a story about a husband and wife camping out in the desert, the middle of nowhere, and the wife wakes up and her husband's gone, and there's a track of steps leading away from the camp, and she follows it for hours until it finally ends in the middle of a sand dune. There are no steps anywhere. It just stops and he's gone. She never sees him again. And Bill counters with this story about a cantaloupe that on the outside, just like Sam said, it's perfect. There's nothing. But on the inside, it's full of maggots. And that's impossible because if there were maggots in this, there would be signs of maggots on the outside. So I, I, I took it as a metaphor for this case it's about how what Ralph's wife says in a little bit when you eliminate all of the possible things, everything that's possible. If you eliminate everything that's possible, whatever's left is the truth. Yep. And in this case, just because what's left is impossible, the fact that it's the only option means that it's real. Which, and that I believe that's uh, Sherlock Holmes. This is what yeah. that's from. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, yeah. right? But Boy, here, I hope that's right. Yes, I'm going to sound like a dummy. That is right. The, but however, the thing is, even though this cantaloupe story happened to Ralph, mm-hmm. 
he still refuses to accept any sort of impossibility. So what happened to Ralph had to have somehow scientifically happened. There is an explanation. He just doesn't know it. But in the end, this whole thing is dealing with something that is a possibility he never, ever could have expected. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel like there's just it's it's not exactly equal. But he I mean, he found the maggots right away. That's been resolved in here. He still doesn't know what that impossibility That's is true. quite yet. So maybe we'll see a change. And now in this chapter, we also in between traveling between uh, characters, we we check in with Fred Peterson, the last remaining Peterson, Ooh. which uh, fucking how effective are these? These are a few a few sentences that the first one just says Ralph Peterson is taking a bed sheet and tying a noose. Like it's pretty much yeah, what that Fred Peterson. Fred Peterson, yeah. Fred Peterson is is tying a noose. Yeah, it's, and that's it. And then it moves on. As we're going from character to character, it's like this character is doing this at about the same time yeah. that he's watching a YouTube video on how to tie a hangman's knot. And it's like, oh no. Yeah. Oh God, it's just heartbreaking. So then we leave that story and we go to the Maitland house where the Maitland girls are screaming and Marcy rushes into the room to find that the girls are yelling that there was a man in the room. Grace is pointing and saying that it was a man outside the window, which made me think of Salem's lot. Yeah. (laughs) Right right away. Mm -hmm. And that his hair was short and black and standing up, but his face was lumpy Uh. like Play-Doh. And he had straws for eyes. Ah! Yeah, that is nightmare fuel. Okay. In our first episode, I said my favorite part of this book, the part that I love is that in that last chapter, the book pivots hard. And it is suddenly something you don't know. It wasn't before. It's a new book. Yeah. And that one line was like... Oh, fuck. I honestly was expecting this to all be just a straightforward mystery. I don't know why I thought that. (laughs) But the second I read the sentence, he had straws for eyes. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. It's not going to be good, whatever it is. Face like Play-Doh really had me, too. At roughly this time, Fred Peterson is going outside with a footstool. He makes his way into his backyard And he makes this decision to hang himself. And he says he makes this part of his decision is the hope that his family had not gotten far away and it might be possible for him to catch up. How fucking brutal is that? I feel so horrible for this entire family. Their kid was brutally murdered. Mom has a heart attack and dies. The other kid was trying to kill the person who allegedly murdered his brother and he got shot and killed. All of our main characters have gone through such terrible shit and they're all like very justifiably caught up in their own Mm -hmm. like woe is me shit, which fair. uh, I forget Terry's wife's name. Marcy. Uh, Marcy Marcy and the girls uh, have lost their husband. It's terrible. You know, to a lesser extent, Ralph thinks his career's over and he has all of this like pent up guilt and it's all terrible and it all pales in comparison to the the petersons the petersons which we spend the least amount of time with mm-hmm. we only we basically only check in with them when something terrible's about to happen i don't know if we touched on this last episode we're going to have to spend 
time on it, but I just want to point out when we were with them before Ali got shot, mm-hmm. he was a, I mean, they're good people. They're good yeah. characters. You like them. You don't want these horrible things to happen mm-hmm. to them. No. And you don't expect that this entire family is going to be wiped out in the first two parts of this book. Oh, not at all. But I mean, Fred's decision is, is crazy. Like it, it makes so much sense to him. Mm-hmm. It's it makes perfect sense to him. However, the second he kicks the footstool out, he realizes that the drop is not enough to break his neck, and he is forced to hang there, strangling and fighting for survival. And his sense of survival kicks in, which is horrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last thing he sees before he blacks out is a man standing on his patio, <laughs> one hand resting on his barbecue, and his eyes are made of straws. Okay, can we take a second? Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? I, I was just going to ask yes, that. I, I can't don't picture know. it. Please explain <laughs> to me what this looks like. Do they, <laughs> do they stick out? Is it, well, on, is it on the cover? No, on the cover, if you guys have the, the, I assume, just the American version of the cover with the upside down man, if you flip it over, his eyes are in a weird position on his head. Yeah, it yeah makes he has me, really high eyes. Yeah, it makes me feel like they're like on stalks almost. I think at one point they describe it as the holes in his eyes, like the pupils are literally holes that like go in which makes uh, me feel like they're literally like eye stalks like a snail i guess yeah, <laughs> i don't know sense. it's awful whatever <laughs> yeah. it is yeah i don't know yeah it, it's i i imagined it like if you saw somebody who didn't have eyes but their eyelids were open so just like that blank space Ugh. but with the way the skin was formed around it it mm-hmm. was still lumpy and looked like they were just kind of cavernous this all reminds me of sleep paralysis. When people Oof. hallucinate like figures standing uh, over them. That happened to me for the first time ever, just like a couple weeks ago. Oh, I've it had was that Jesus. Awful. Yeah, it's bad. That it sounds is awful. I didn't see anything. I didn't see any demons or anything, but I had the very real sensation of someone grabbing me from behind. It sucked. So <laughs> Is it from reading this book? I don't because we I didn't make that connection at the time, but because <laughs> we'll get to that scene. Yeah. Luckily for him, his neighbor is awake and hears the branch that he was on break, runs out, gives him CPR. R- runs out. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, does, she's a little old lady. She with does sciatica. her best to run out. Well, and as like the adrenaline goes, the pain mm. starts going away. I do love that at the moment, like where she's, you know, she's saving his life and she has a fleeting thought of like, Oh, maybe it's gone for good because <laughs> yeah. it's gone for like 10 seconds. She's a tough old bird. Yeah. But uh, the ambulance arrives. They're able to take him to the hospital. And we find out that he has minimal brain function and it is very unlikely he'll ever wake up. So just another tragic incident in the Peterson family. And I love that when the paramedic says you saved his life, she has a moment that's like, maybe it'd be better if I hadn't. Yeah. And that's just it's it's true so it doesn't happen in this section but he's definitely coming back right uh i think so that he uh, saw, i mean maybe he saw whatever the straw eyes guy was yeah we also find out that more more nails in the terry maitland coffin that was poorly phrased too, yeah. soon. <laughs> too soon sorry <laughs> ralph gets another call and we find out that the dna has come back that the blood and skin on the tree branch that were used in the assault are in fact 
Terry's. Did they look at his hands, though? Did he have any, like, wouldn't your hands be tore up? Yeah. And they always take pictures of that and yeah. investigate it. They never mention anything about his hands being torn up or anything. The only thing they mention about his hands is that he doesn't have a Coke nail. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. I also wrote down, I have a note that just says, for the love of God, Montresor. <laughs> what? They talk about the cask of Amontillado, but I can't remember to what end. The, the story, the Edgar Allan Poe story where he walls a guy up. Yeah. Uh, but he walls up a cat in there and mm-hmm. they the meowing. Yeah, I don't, remember, I don't remember what the, the context impact. was. I did look up the the short story that Ralph's wife brings up multiple times. William I Wilson. William Wilson. And read uh, about a, two pages of it and then gave up because it was boring. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, although, luckily, they explained the whole plot of it later. They 100%, I meant to bring this up last episode, just fun fact, that same short story is mentioned in Firestarter. Really? Yes. The character that Andy, we never meet, it's one of his self-help guys that we talk about. Uh, he, he had set an echo off where he w- had started playing Russian roulette with himself. Yes! And it was tied up to a post oh story about someone with a double. And the way he fixed it was he just went, no, you never read that short story. Yes! It's the same story. That's huh. awesome. Yeah, weird, uh, weird coincidence. Totally missed that. At this point, Ralph has gone to the station, even though he's on suspension, to look at some evidence. And he can't stop thinking about that yellow bra strap. Just real hung up on that young girl's bra. Yeah. I, I, last episode, uh, CM, you kept mentioning the bra strap during the like big riot scene. And I kept going, why? (laughs) Why is that important? Because I uh, read ahead and forgot. (laughs) That hadn't happened yet. Should have known. Well, as he's going through evidence, he finds the, uh, a menu, a a sliver of a menu for Mm. Tommy and Tuppence in Dayton, Ohio, which is, where the van was. And so he, that's when it all clicks. So you've had this whole time to put it together, but been smarter than everyone. <laughs> that can't be true. <laughs> it's, it's the last place that, uh, that they'd gone for that spring break. Ralph calls Sablo to have him look into the timeline to see when that could have happened. And then it cuts to him back home, waking up from sleep again, having a dream about the bra strap. The bra strap is very, very heavy <laughs> for like 20 pages. A lot about and it. And for the dumbest reason. Well, but this time, every time they do it, they drop in a little bit more. This time it says, it's the color specifically. And then that's when it clicked for me. I Can we just talk about what that ended up yes. meaning? Because no point I, in jumping I kind around of agree it. with Ben. Yeah. So we find out that the, he's he has this yellow bra strap stuck in his mind. Because when all of this is going down to the courthouse and he's gone into that like hyper awareness mode mm-hmm. and he's observing the crowd and what's going on, there was a man. He had a, a yellow shirt tied around his head. Like yeah, a he thought it was a bandana at first. And the guy was like covered in burns and he was standing in the crowd in a specific location. Ralph is he goes back through all the footage of all the different news stations who were there any footage that's available and he's looking for this guy and this guy is not there it's like he was never there it's really creepy mm-hmm. but also the fact that he spent so much time on a yellow bra strap when he could have just been like oh there was a weird yellow bandana and then <laughs> you find out that it's the yellow shirt terry was wearing when he killed 
killed Frankie. the kid. I yes. guess. Or when he was seen after when he, he was, cleaned yeah. up. But it, it's just such... The bra strap is just a stupid red herring <laughs> leading up to that. To that, yeah, that moment where it clicks. Well, let's uh, we'll talk about the that crime scene. Well, okay, actually, before we get to that, just uh, there's a bit where Marcy, where Ralph goes to Marcy's house and she fucking lays into him mm. as she deserves to. But he puts the idea in her head that if she's right and it wasn't Terry, this killer is still out there. So he wants to set up a meeting to talk about more options. Marcy being the good person that she is after kicking him out calls to to say that to calls Howie to say they'll set up that meeting because it's it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And that's a horrible thought to have. Mm -hmm. Right. The person who did this is still out there and might do it again. Yeah. So the next character we meet for three pages, Dougie Elfman, he is he found in a barn in Canning Township, all of the clothes that Terry was wearing on the video when he was dropped off at the, the train station. Except for. Except for a yellow shirt. But the, mostly it was the belt buckle that got his attention mm-hmm. because they drew so much attention to that belt buckle. And the copious amounts of jizz. So much <laughs> semen. Well, but is it? Because it, it I don't turns think it stuff is. black. And I don't think semen does that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a boy. I could be wrong. No. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, this guy, he sees it and he's like, who would come that much on shoes? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like the hay around this pile of clothes is rotten and black. Mm-hmm. And uh. The only cool part about this scene, I think, is the feeling of dread and just the spookiness that this kid gets. He's so freaked out by this. Not just what he stumbles upon, but he just has this horrible feeling feeling like something's there with him Mm -hmm. that he leaves and is driving down the road and is still freaked out and refuses to wait there for his dad and the cops he calls his dad and he's like found some stuff i i gotta get out of here and fair uh if, if anyone else out there listening lives in the midwest there are the the like out in the middle of nowhere dirt single lane dirt road type places i've always been freaked out like that's where i grew up yeah (laughs) it's it's creepy it's that feeling of being a it's impossibly empty and uh, yeah you're you're so isolated yeah yeah even very creepy huge wide open space it feels like somebody could just sneak up on you literally anything could happen to you and no one would know yep come to the midwest (laughs) come visit (laughs) We'll take you to the barns we know. <laughs> They've set up the the meeting and Ralph goes to Marcy's and Howie and Alec Pelly are there. Howie obviously is suspicious because he doesn't want them to keep trying to find ways to justify what happened because he thinks that Ralph and Samuels are just trying to save their ass. It's totally a reasonable thing. He's protecting his client. Mm. Ralph tells them all about the van. Marcy gets defensive about their trip saying that they were together for every moment except for when he visited his father. Now we find out why they kept saying that what his father was doing, if you can call that living, we find out that Peter Maitland is suffering from Alzheimer's and it is very progressed. It's very bad. And uh, Terry and his dad weren't close, so he didn't spend a lot of time meeting him at this point. I thought this whole meeting was just going nowhere and (laughs) it was going to be a waste, but Sarah Maitland comes out from around the corner and just says, Daddy got a cut. And they he she explains that he 
on his last day there, he bumped into an orderly and he fell. Terry reached out his hand to help him up to his feet and he was cut. He had got to cut him on the wrist. And immediately I wrote down, mm-hmm. I wonder if it was his pinky nail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, th- this is exactly what we know already happened to, uh, what's his name? The bouncer at Gentlemen, please. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you say that. I am one, I am opening a titty bar, guys, <laughs> uh, just so I can use that name. Claude it's Bolton. So good. Claude Bolton yeah. is his name. Do you guys really like this group of people? I do, I do. actually. Yeah. I lo- I like I these characters. I want to be there with them, like, <laughs> figuring stuff out. It's just a good combination. It's cool. Yeah, I, say that. yeah. I completely agree. Ben, I'm glad you uh, you segued to gentlemen, please, because mm-hmm. that is where our next scene takes place. Where Jack Hoskins, the detective who was pulled from vacation early and is a fucking dick about it, went to the note I have says Jack Hoskins went to gentlemen, please for two drinks and a moderate boner. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard at that line. I, Do you have the whole, no, it's no. just, they mentioned that he, he's uh, supposed <laughs> to be heading out to this yeah. barn where they found this evidence, but he stopped at the titty bar on the edge of town <laughs> and they describe his boner as moderate, which is the funniest thing. It is it is so fucking funny. Sam, <laughs> you want to weigh in on boner talk? No. <laughs> you're always, is, you always want to get on when they objectify women, but this, now we're talking about moderate boners and you're quiet as hell. Everybody knows our uh, weekly segment, <laughs> Dairy Public Radio presents Boner Talk. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ. That a new Patreon goal? All right. <laughs> No, okay, this is bullshit because you guys get something hilarious and yeah, cute, that's a like good point. moderate boner. I get garbage vaginal garbage disposal. <laughs> yeah. It's not the same. No. Very good yeah, point. It's that's because penises are hilarious. Also and a vaginas good point. are terrifying. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yes. Grow up, guys. <laughs> I actively refuse. So Hoskins, because he uh, went to get his moderate boner and his drinks, he shows up to the scene after everybody is gone because he's a great cop. He very carefully moves through the the cones and the evidence tape to get back there. And he thinks he sees someone in the barn with him and he freaks the fuck out. He pulls his light and realizes it's just a pile of stuff. Whew, crisis averted. Nope. Then he, Ben, do you want to describe your dream? (laughs) my dream someone grabbing you from behind yeah no it's this part really was unnerving yeah it was because he he has this feeling of like there's someone here and we know there's something we know oh something's gonna be here and it's not gonna be good and as he's standing there he immediately knows something is standing right behind him and he thinks about whirling around and seeing it, but he's frozen solid with fear and he just feels fingers at the nape of his neck. I would lose my ever-loving mind. Well, and the, the fact that the thought he has right before he feels the touch on the back of his neck is he he says he knows he's going to die right now. Mm-hmm. Like he knows this is the end and then he feels that touch. But How do you not scream forever? But what's unnerving is that he doesn't, and mm-hmm. he does eventually turn around, and he is alone. 
And this is one of those things that uh, I have the feeling that a lot of our characters that we have grown to know and love would be a lot better if Jack Hoskins did die right here. Because Jack Hoskins is a king trope. He is. He's a king trope that I can't think of any exact examples off the top of my head. I know what you mean. Like the lady from The Mist. Yeah, he's... A catalyst for everything bad to happen. The character who is not the bad guy, but is ends up being manipulated by the actual evil force Harold into Lauder. being yes Harold Lauder um yeah people that are only evil because they're cowards villain by proxy yes uh we named it <laughs> yeah, there you go yeah and it's it's we don't know what bad thing he ends up doing but later on we find out that he's gonna end up doing oh, something he sure bad. is but he turns around, no one's there, and he gets the fuck out of there and barrels through the police tape and the cones on his way out and is done with it. He hasn't even made it out back into town before convincing himself that it didn't happen at all. The next morning, Ralph and Sablo meet up, which uh, I'm going to pause before we go any further. Oh. What do you guys think about Sablo? What are your feelings on Sablo? Because he... He comes in and out a lot. He's like he's sometimes a part of the bigger mm. conversations. He's not always because I think he's he's state police. And so he's not always around. He I think he lives in Cap City. But, you know, he he pops in every once in a while. And now he's become the the resource for getting things you need police to get because Ralph's on suspension. Mm. I like him and he has a catchphrase. And it's not annoying, so I can't remember it. <laughs> but I, I think it's about his. It's, it's about being the son of a poor Mexican farmer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we talk real quick? I just feel like I don't know. Maybe this is insignificant, but at the end of the meeting with um, Howie and Ralph and everyone, Alex stops Ralph on his way out, and they yeah. have this conversation that I just thought was cool because he's he's trying to, I guess, trying to get them to work together. And to share more information. And he's ultimately at the end, he's like, we might be on the same side here. And I feel like that's the first time we really get that they are all going to band together. Yeah. Alec does a great job of stepping outside with him and basically saying the way you did everything is fucked. But you knew that already. The point is. I get why you did it the way you did it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I might have done the same thing if it were my son. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's it's an olive branch mm-hmm. to somebody who is tangentially connected because he's, you know, it's not he's not hired by Marcy. He's mm-hmm. hired by Howie, who's hired mm-hmm. by Marcy. So he's far enough removed. And we learned in his in his backstory that he he does this because he feels like he has something to make up for. So the idea of him putting who's paying him aside to find out what's right and what's true Mm -hmm. really, uh, really rings true for that character. I I like Alec so much. And to bring back to the question we were talking about, I really like Yoon. Uh, Yoon Sablo is a great character. It's really a testament to how great this book is how well written, how well written the characters are that 
it has made me really root for a whole bunch of cops. Yeah. yeah. Which is not my MO. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, they're all written to be so human and, and like they're actually working for the greater good. And I, I like them a lot. Yeah. And Sablo is, has been written to be almost exclusively are like, it's, he's uh, Ralph's go-to competent cop. Not that there aren't others. Uh, I forget her name, but the pregnant cop. Betsy. Uh, is also very competent. You get the feeling that she's very good at her job, but also she's in she the middle of a baby. She just had a baby, <laughs> so she's kind of out of the running. Like a day ago. <laughs> yeah. So uh, really all we have to go by is Yoon and fucking Jack. And, uh, and Jack sucks. Jack sucks. Yeah. He's moderate. <laughs> <laughs> so at this breakfast, they meet up at a diner. And Sablo, even though he obviously shouldn't because Ralph is suspended, shows him photos of the crime scene and shows him the evidence they gathered at the barn. Uh, among the most interesting things, they discover fingerprints that were like that of an old man in his 80s or 90s. They're, they found another set that were too blurred and that similar a set similar to that blurry set was found on the van. They found out that the clothes are, as Ben mentioned, just covered in semen and that they think the same substance turned the hay black and that there's even some of it in the loft of the barn. And they're 90 percent sure that those substances match. Now, I thought the blurry prints and the old prints were the same. It's the reason they were blurry is because they are broken down almost like that of a very, okay, very maybe old I misread man. that. Yeah. Yeah. I could be wrong as well. So. Which yeah. I, I, I feel like... <laughs> no, that that's how I read it. And then this, this is when Ralph wants to go back and get Bolton's interview because he mentioned the pinky nail and, and all of that. And this, all of these, did all of these pieces, all of these clues, where did they take like your mind to what the solution is here? It, you have some evidence. We still don't have a definitive answer for a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, the killer is a semen monster. Yep, who that exploded tracks. in the barn to take on his new form, which was Terry Maitland. That's why there's all this black monster semen all over. <laughs> and he's just going to That was a Goosebumps book, jumping right? Body. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's very obvious. It's some sort of shapeshifter that needs a person's DNA to take their form. Because we got... Terry got scratched by whatever this was. And... Then there were two Terrys somehow, and now we we will get further evidence that this that seems like mm-hmm. what's going but on. But what's with all the semen? The, the <laughs> semen's a that's I mean, a the red semen's herring. not semen, but <laughs> I don't know. Especially because they're like we're ninety percent sure the substances substances are the same, despite that it turned hay black. Okay, well we don't <laughs> know yet. If I had to guess what we are going to find out, what it is. I'm going to, this is a complete blind guess, guys, guess that they're going to be like, wow, we f- we did a bunch of analysis and they're kind of like stem cells. Oh. That it, it's some kind of stem cell-like substance. That's what I said. It exploded. Yeah, it like took it, on its new form. Like it has that's, two. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, how stem the, cells work. Yeah. yeah it, the, its mother wasn't around to like look up all the goo. <laughs> so, so our theory is that whatever this creature is, in order to change shape, has to essentially cocoon and then explodes out of said cocoon and then 
its body is in a Play-Doh-esque state as it takes yes. on its form. That makes and as I, much sense as anything. I guess, <laughs> We've I eliminated guess. <laughs> so many possibilities. The only thing left is this. Cocoon is better than semen monster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you concede. Hey, no one no one says that it can't be both. You're glad I concede? <laughs> Get out. Get out. That is simultaneously such a stretch <laughs> and such a disgusting image. That's <laughs> what I'm good for. <laughs> oh, God, that's what I call my sperm. Concede. Jesus. I'm going Nail it. I'm cut going that, cut home. that joke that, immediately. Yeah, no, no, you're scared. Come on, the, Ben. You gotta pull Jesus your weight. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta come joke? No, I'm Come on, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> this is not Sam, for children Sam, this episode. Just leave him alone, alright? What's <laughs> happening? I don't know. We just want to see if you're feeling spunky. <laughs> That's nothing. <laughs> That's what the spunky? Spunky. That's nothing. Anyway, <laughs> Josh, ben, you I, don't I know. think we really got to rise out of bed <laughs> moderately. <laughs> All right, that All right. That's for, the, for bone to boner tops. <laughs> God, we're idiots. What a fucking dumb podcast this is. <laughs> I hear unsubscribing. <laughs> As I'm saying it, I hear people unsubscribing. Swear to Christ, if this episode isn't titled Boner Talk, <laughs> it'll be unacceptable. Obviously, it is going to be titled Boner Talks. Now, we we jump to our, our first m- official meeting of uh, of everybody who has pieces to the puzzle right now. Ralph invites Howie and Alec to his house, and they Skype Sablo in. And Jeannie, to her credit, is in. She is involved. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that she recognizes, she knows something mm. supernatural. Like, she has the sense something supernatural is happening. And she recognizes that Ralph is going to continue down this road with or without her. So it might as well be with her. You know who Jeannie and Ralph remind me of? Hmm. It's, it's not in the book, but in the movie Misery... When we get more, when we get the sheriff and his oh, life. Oh, yeah. Those characters. We're just like, yeah. This uh, actually, okay, this is a weird road. I'm going to get all the pieces of this out here as we go. But Ralph and Pangborn are twinners, huh. which makes Jeannie and Polly twinners. I'm completely okay with that. I haven't read Needful Things. Oh, okay. Ah. Pangborn and I don't know why and I Ralph Anderson. Intrigue when you said that, <laughs> huh, I have never read that. <laughs> well, you got the the Ralph yeah, and Pangborn. Yeah, yeah. They're they're twinners. They're hundred percent twinners. Interesting. Uh, and well, first the first comparison, cops. Sure. Second comparison, the refusal to believe in anything supernatural until the evidence so far outweighs anything rational that they have to accept it. Which is I, I what I assume Ralph is gonna end up coming down that road. But there's another point that I'll get to later. They share all the information that they have. They remember Alec points out that he also remembers seeing the burned man so that even though it doesn't show up on the tape, someone else also corroborates that this person was there. Alec says that he knows somebody who, because none of them can go to Dayton to check any of this out. So he knows somebody and he's going to give them a call. Then we jump over to the Maitland house where uh, Grace the, the youngest, has finally fallen asleep. She's had a terrible time getting to sleep. 
She fell asleep in the afternoon and she wakes up to a man in a green shirt sitting on her bed. And he looks like her father. He, he has her father's doesn't, eyes. doesn't, though. It's so much worse but, than that. Yeah. Well, initially, he looks like her father. But as they're sitting there talking, she's noticing that he's he's the Play-Doh man, except he's not as lumpy. And he's really cruel. And he says horrible things to her. And the whole time I was reading this part, I was so upset and nervous because, I, I mean, this... Whatever this is, this creature is a child killer. Mm. And I was really hoping that she wasn't next. Oh, I was terrified that something was going to happen until the very end when he specifically says that he has a message. And I was like, okay, she's safe for now. He he basically, she, she says, like, you're not my dad. You just have my dad's eyes. And as she's talking, like, his shirt changes from a... Uh, just a nondescript shirt to a smock, which did not hit me until literally just now what that was. Yeah. And we will get to that. Wh- wh- uh, huh? oh. So we, we haven't found this out, but Terry Maitland bumped into a an orderly. Oh, we talked at, about oh, that. Yeah. We, we talked about that. Oh! But we don't know the connection to that yeah, yet. So it didn't really gotcha. hit me. So it changes from this smock, which I would assume is an orderly smock, an orderly smock. to oh. her dad's dragon what golden dragons golden or dragons uniform jersey, jersey and um he says something along the lines of like oh are you sad good i i want you to be sad i i want you to cry and is just calls her a baby pointlessly and so cruel it, weirdly not just cruel but childlike like yeah. not the way just a cruel person it is so it's almost inhuman like the way it's it's very basic and mm-hmm. simple and that's even scarier but yeah he he says i you have to give a uh, a message to the policeman and if you do i will go away and so she passes along the message yeah she gets her mother comes into um her bedroom and gracie has gotten her phone out of her purse or drawer or wherever she kept it and she's calling howie and Marcy just like stands there and listens to this conversation, which we don't really get her reaction, but must have freaked her the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that that message that she has to deliver to Ralph is that the man said to stop looking into this or something bad will happen. Now we get to the part I'm so fucking excited about. <laughs> Alec makes his call. The first call. Then the first number he calls is disconnected. He calls the second number. And the phone answers, and it's Finders Keepers! Okay. I'm so excited! (laughs) I also am very excited to talk Uh, about this, and I hope what I have to say is not too blasphemous. Go for it. Have you guys both read? I have not. I've read read the entire Bill Bill Hodges trilogy. Okay. So explain just, like, very basic. It's Finders Keepers, and it took me a second to realize that because I haven't read the Bill Hodges uh, trilogy, the second book of which is called Finders Keepers. So it's this big connection. And immediately I knew, oh, Josh is freaking out. (laughs) I lost my mind. Okay. So you loved it. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about it, CM? The character is not yet endearing to me because Mm -hmm. I don't know. She, I feel disconnected from her. Yes. 
Exactly. This is the first time, and this is why I say I hope I'm not being too blasphemous, because obviously one of my favorite things, I think we all agree, one of the best things about King King's work is the interconnectedness. Absolutely. That it is all a part of this giant, it's all part of the tower. And I love that. But this is the first time I have read a book and seen a connection and felt the way people who do not read King and do not have that connection to him must feel when they stumble across this because I knew that it was a connection to another book mm-hmm. and it kind of took me out of it uh, for a while. It took me a while to feel connected to this new character, Holly. I feel like in other books, mm-hmm. because I've read other books that had a connection and I, I wasn't familiar with that connection. Mm-hmm. And I ended up actually discovering that later and going back and I always reread books. So then when I hit it that second time, I'm like, yay, you know, there it is. I missed mm-hmm. this the first time, but it's never taken me out the way it has here. And I think that's because in his other work, typically he does it a little more casually. Mm-hmm. And I feel like here, we're kind of relying on knowing that character better mm-hmm. than we usually will have to know that character. So she's 100%. She felt, it seemed I like she was, agree. They were, he, she was written in such a way that, you know, we should have been like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, you and me, it's just like, it was, huh. it felt so much more than any other King book where it is expecting you to have read yep. the Bill Hodges. Yeah. It, if, if it could have been labeled the fourth Bill Hodges book, it would have. Yeah. Because it it relies on that mm-hmm. sequence because of, uh, I mean, just the first chapter with Holly spoils literally the entire series. And I, I uh, wish that hadn't happened because I'm really excited. I have those books. I just haven't gotten to them because we've been mm-hmm. reading other things. Fair. But I we don't have to have that. Mm-hmm. Right. We could have so just much of that wasn't been necessary. introduced to Holly, <clears throat> gotten a little bit bit you know of her backstory and then discovered what happens in this trilogy and been even more invested in her. well to the, be- the hard part about holly is that so much of her character is directly tied mm-hmm. to bill and the things that how happen. important of a character is she in the bill hodges trilogy she's massively important in these in the second and third she is crucial in the first one she doesn't show up until about a little over halfway but she is uh, a pivotal point of the end of the book okay yeah so she's she's very very important when she and it's really it's interesting for me because when you first meet her she is just so so meek Mm -hmm. and won't make eye contact and like she's so small so the things that she's doing now like you're cheering from her because you know how far she's come, yes. and mm-hmm. we're just like, why is her, he describing all these weird yeah, perks? Yeah, her, such her taking charge, like her praying, doesn't mean anything to you guys. But when it talks about I her, it was a her cool, praying, I'm mm-hmm. like, wow. I thought right. that was a cool quirk. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I don't liked dislike it. her at all. I no. just I could tell. I'm missing something. Exactly, and it yes. does. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Take you out. I, I will give them uh, give him one thing, and I do think. You say that they spoil the entire Bill Hodges trilogy. I do not feel spoiled. Sure. Um, because the things they, they say don't make, ex- yes. don't have the exact context. They, they yeah. give one very large thing, which I won't say here, but something I assume is very important. And I don't know if it happens even in the books or whether it's an in between 
about, about Bill Hodges. About Bill, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, like, um, yeah, that, with, that has, that's at the end of the... Okay. Like book. we had uh, with um, our Alan Pingborn and Thad reference where we find yes. out in another yes. book that Thad so, had a yeah. bad ending. Yeah, so like I, I, I don't feel spoiled. There's nothing in this that makes me go, well, shit, I can't go back and read those books. Sure. It's all ruined now. In fact, it was actually a few of the things made me very intrigued. Uh, about because she holly let's talk about holly uh she is told all of this and alec is her go-between and he tells her this whole story and kind of is like who knows whether she'll take the case or not but immediately she is completely on board and the supernatural elements or the yeah the supernatural elements the the impossible is she's seen the impossible so exactly all right i believe this unexpected because their organization is described as um bail bonds yeah Mm -hmm. then like yeah so that that makes me very intrigued there's a reason that bill can't get a private detective license and so that's why the finders keepers (gasps) is under that okay yeah yeah it, it it's it's interesting, but I I do wish I could have read or that I, I would have read the Bill Hodges trilogy yeah. first. I am I am enjoying every moment with Holly because I love the character from she, the she grew three books. It yeah. just gonna, it took a yeah, little bit. I'm gonna read them and then I'm gonna reread The Outsider because I already want to do that anyway. God, I no know. So Holly Holly takes the case. Uh, she is going to go to Dayton and get all this information. And what you guys will find out here about Holly that I already knew, Holly is a research machine. Mm. The woman is smart as hell. And she is it's well documented that she makes these connections almost out of nowhere. And her gut is almost always right. So when she has these hunches, it's just, yes. All right. This is where we're, what happens. So Holly makes the trip. She she lays out an entire timeline of when the van was dropped off, when it probably was stolen, when the Maitlands arrived. Also, when... how long it'll take her to drive to her hotel. Yes. How I, I love that. She's very meticulous in the way she documents every tiny charge mm-hmm. for her for, for the books. But essentially, the important takeaways that we find out are that at the time when Terry was in Dayton, she, she goes to visit the uh, Heisman memory unit where Terry's father is. The receptionist thinks that she's a reporter and gets really defensive. But she says, but I'm I'm a friend of the family. Can I can I just go in? I'm not a reporter. And uh, that's how she finds out that they don't know that Terry's dead. So the news reports aren't the reporters aren't coming to them about Terry. So what is it? Well, we find out that there were two girls that went missing. Amber and Jolene Howard. They were abducted and murdered the day of the the visit, Terry's last visit to his father. She pieces together this timeline and the parallels are insane. The the victims were unbelievably torn apart and assaulted and there was so much evidence for the person that they caught there were they were on camera there was DNA there was tons of witnesses and that person was Heath Holmes. Heath Holmes was an orderly at the Heisman Memory Unit. And he was also miles away miles. from the the murder at the time. He was with his mother, impossibly out of town. People in where they were saw him helping his mother out, doing all this yard work. It was not possible for him to have been there. He's also dead because yes. he hung himself in his jail cell. That's not the only tragedy because 
soon after his mother also hanged herself in their basement. Mm -hmm. And there were, they even found uh, bloody underpants in the basement of, uh, of his home and blonde hairs in Terry Maitland's father's room. Yes. So it's, everything is just lining up. It is matching so perfectly that it just can't be all coincidence. So with all of these pieces now in play, Holly decides that she wants to talk to Ralph because he was the detective on the scene. Uh, very politely goes through Alec Pelly to clear it and get, get his permission. <laughs> Tells Alec Pelly straight out, Terry Maitland did not do it. Which is that, insane. Yeah. And I love the... So she knows that she needs to talk to Ralph because he has information that may not have come out to her through... Pelly, because that's just how those things work. And this is a testament to how great of a detective she is, because she gets on the phone with him and she's like digging and digging and trying to get at what we want her to get at, like what we're rooting for her to know, because me personally, I can't stand the tension and the suspense of them both having these pieces mm. of information and not sharing it together. Uh, it's that thing in movies when you're like, if you the characters would just talk to each yeah. other, yeah. there would be no problems. Yep. Uh, she she refers to it as uh, the the quote that her her mom I think she said Macy's mm. doesn't tell gimbals. Yeah, uh, I mean that from from my knowledge of watching like Law and Order, I guess is that yeah, cops different uh, different jurisdictions jurisdictions and, yeah. they don't talk to each other mm-hmm. so there's no way that flint city could have known that this murder that was almost identical happened halfway across the country yeah there's no reason to look there now we get to our final chapter for this episode visits and we are back with jack hoskins who wakes up feeling like shit he feels the back of his neck is burned like it has a sunburn he goes into the bathroom sits on the toilet and a shower behind his curtain moves then he realizes that the shape is not his back scrubber and his shower head and blah, blah, blah. It is the shape of a man. And the man takes his fingers and he puts them around the edge of the curtain. Doesn't open it, but Jack can see that he has a tattoo on his fingers that spells can't. And this person who does not seem human to us from Jack's description basically tells him you know, I touched the back of your neck. I gave you cancer. You're going to die, but I can take it away if you'll do something for me. Do you want me to take it away? And Jack passes out. Later that evening, Jeannie gets up to go to the bathroom. She comes out and notices there's a light on downstairs. She walks downstairs, notices that a chair is missing from the dining room. And all of a sudden a voice says, don't move or scream or I'll kill you. Ben? A man is sitting in their living room, uh, just in shadow, but she can see on his uh, hand the word must tattooed across his knuckles. And he says, you tell the detective to cut it out and I'll go away. Yeah, it's just, I've, I've moved on. This has moved mm-hmm. on. This is over. And if you don't, if you keep searching for me, if you keep looking into this, I kill everyone. And like a mirror, she passes out in the exact same way that Jack does. Uh, Described, and they both use the phrase, and they they fell and was unconscious before they hit the floor. Mm -hmm. And then they both wake up back in bed. 
somehow when in the morning when Jeannie tells Ralph, he flat out doesn't believe her mm-hmm. because there there's no impressions where a chair would have been set in in their living room. Like there's just no evidence. Yeah, and he's just they have in an alarm denial. And yeah. the alarm yeah. wasn't tripped. Mm-hmm. Everything's locked. He he can't. He can't believe her yeah. because everything we know about Ralph is that he is only interested in things that he can prove. Yeah. But then she's describing what this person looks like, the tattoos, and that triggers a yellow bra strap moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I believe there's a point where he he says, uh, he sees in his head just the word can't, yeah. and he's like, no, I don't need to think about that just yet. If only there had been, been a titty in that word, <laughs> I would have remembered it. <laughs> what? Because the bra strap, know, there's, there's a titty in the bra. That's what bra strap is. But he, but he, works, at, he works at gentlemen, please, so there kind <laughs> of is a titty in that word. <laughs> anyway. None of that makes sense. Perviest episode. Uh, I didn't follow any of it, guys. No. Um, the point is, he's going to get his wife killed. Well, we, we can agree yes, on that. that like, is he's going to get his wife killed. Uh, I hope not. But yeah, he he tells her like I'm. I can't let this go. Yeah. I I can't. Uh, he pulls the classic. What if it was our kid? That okay? Can we? Anyway, you guys keep forgetting that they have a kid. Yeah. They have a kid that's at camp. It's this camp. entire she book. won't bring him home because I'm she doesn't want the town to face him. Yeah, I'm picturing them as a much older couple. Yeah, yeah, uh, but no. Every once in a while, they'll be like, "What about our kid?" And I'm like, "You have a kid, um, <laughs> right?" Uh. But yeah, he says like, "What if it was our kid that got murdered?" And she's like, "Oh, well, if that were, th- it's unfair to ask that." But sure. if it was, I'd be right there with you. Yeah, all of this triggers the pulling of Bolton's file. She shows Ralph shows the picture of the man to Jeannie and she says, yes, that is that's the guy. So it is Claude Bolton who was in our house, which we know Claude Bolton was the last person who was cut by a pinky nail by Terry. And he's the bouncer at Gentlemen, Please. Right. Which is why the titty thing makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, it does. Um, When we touch base with Jack. Before we leave him for this chapter, it goes back to him and he uh, he also notices there's no way anybody could have been in his house. It must have been a dream. And he feels that his neck is blistering in places. And we find out that cancer is his mom died of cancer. So the idea of living with a body riddled with cancer is his, he, he's reliving his worst nightmare. Just the thought of this, which is our clue that. He is going to do whatever kind the of outsider Zelda says. Uh, the last bit we have is that because Claude Bolton is now a suspect, they send a trooper out, uh, a state patrol trooper out to Bolton's mom's house because that's where the owner of Gentleman Please said he would be. The cop goes out there. Uh, Officer Sipe talks to his mom and him, and there's no way he could have been there last night. The exact same instance that we're dealing with these other cases. Yeah. Hundreds of miles away. Yep. And this killed me because I honestly immediately felt for Claude and Mm -hmm. his mom. It's just such a sweet scene. He just goes down to Texas to be with his like old mom. Yeah, to cook for her and do her laundry. He's just like her money every week. It's so sweet. And Mm -hmm. she's just like so sincerely choked up and just tells this officer like he's such a good boy. He he used to have trouble, but he hasn't had trouble for a long time. It it, it was so nice and like pure. 
and really fucked me up because it's like, oh, this guy's not going to have a good I really end. want him to be okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My hope is Ralph finds out the timeline's impossible and he's just about to leave for we're finally going to have the meeting of all of these characters and put all the pieces on the table and Samuel shows up because Howie invited him along. So he is the the last remaining member of this team that I did not expect to be joining the team mm-hmm. shows up here at the very end. This meeting, they're, they're all coming together. D- does it remind you guys of anything or make you think of any other, not in any particular specifics, but this meeting, it makes me think of the Losers Club. Right. Okay, I just yeah, say I that. see that. Yeah. Where they are all coming together and they, even if some of them won't admit it now, looking at you, Ralph, like, <laughs> they're coming together to fight something otherworldly, mm-hmm. something evil. And it just, it makes me think so much of the Losers Club coming together as adults mm-hmm. and uh, about ready to start talking about what they're going to do mm-hmm. about I'm, it. I am curious what Samuels is going to bring to the table because there's no reason King would bring him back mm. to be to go into this meeting unless he was going to provide something vital at some point. Otherwise, that'd be a really weird choice. There was a few times where I kept thinking like different characters would show up and I'd be like, are they the monster? Are they the, are they the shapeshifter? But I don't think it seems like that's how it works. It seems like it's more of a process. Yeah. Who knows if we get to next episode and we're like, well... Everyone's a monster. Oops. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next episode where we will be covering the rest of the book. For Joshua Khan and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, time probably did heal all wounds, but God, some of them healed so slowly. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Outsider Part 2. So you've heard our predictions about what this outsider is. Let us know yours on our social media at Dairy Public Radio. Send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Please take a moment, if you haven't already, to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps keep us up there in the charts and helps other people find us, and we appreciate it so, so much. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.